0: Revelation chapter 5, and we've got to get to work here in Revelation 5. As we do, I want you to write these three letters down somewhere. Somewhere. You might write them in the back of your Bible, as a matter of fact, because they're three letters that I'll bring to your attention pretty regularly. They will be familiar to you at the end of the message. I'm sure that you probably, if you've been here for a little while, have heard me talk about these three in some way, some form, or fashion. And I will do this. I remember Peter talking about how that... Whenever it was that he died, he wanted people to continue to talk about what he talked about. And so I hope this is the case. But here's the three letters. E-N-A. E-N-A. We write this down. I'll come to these letters. And I'll just forewarn you that if for some reason I get to the end of my time and not to the end of the text, we'll go to E-N-A. E-N-A. So I want to end with E-N-A. John said in Revelation 5, then I saw. That is familiar language for John, then I saw. What he meant there, and I'm convinced of this, is that he saw another vision. And as he's having the revelation given to him, events are occurring before his eyes. Events that are future, that are in the future. And as he sees these future events from Revelation 4 forward... These future events, Revelation 4 and forward, he's seeing them as a collage or a mosaic, which means that Revelation is not set necessarily in chronological order. It's very important to know that, or it does get confusing. We're not going to look at Revelation 5 and 6 and see seals. Open trumpets blowing, and then here's the succession of events in the future. What we'll do is we'll see an event, and then we'll see another event, and then we'll come back and watch the event again from a different perspective, OK? So we're going to see in Revelation 5, some future events. We're going to see some future events. In fact, we're going to see history, future. I'm going to have Todd come up here and help me out here. I wanted you to not think that I have totally needed a giant print Bible. But I have, how many of you have ever seen this book before? It's um, Adam's Synchronological Chart of History. You ever seen this? It is fascinating. In fact, our Bible study teacher, Craig Phillips, will bring it to Bible study sometimes, and uh, he'll open it up and we'll look through it. What Adams did, and Adams was a, a descendant of President John Adams, is grabbed, if you know Usher's Chart of History, grabbed that kind of key, and then from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve, traces human history. Fascinating. You can literally take this and teach children our history all the way back to Adam and Eve. Amazing. And uh, I'm just going to have Todd help me out here. We're not going to open this whole thing up, Todd, but it's, we might. But it's my wife's book, and I don't want to tear it. I'll go this way, you go that way. We have not rehearsed this. But it's 23 feet long. All right, so, yeah, let's just do it that way. I just wanted to illustrate, this is a long chart of history. And yet, 23 feet's not much considering the thousands of years that we do actually have. But it succinctly shows the line of empires, kingdoms, and different powers. It also shows different types of inventions that have been made that were really changing or critical to changing human history. So I, I wanted you to see that. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. Can I give you the book. Take it back. You just don't be looking at it while I'm preaching. Thanks, Rod. All right, let's get thank you, Todd. Give me my hand. I wanted to show you that, why, why? Because there's a scroll in Revelation 5. And that scroll contains human history. But not human history in the past. But that which is coming to bring everything to a Christ culmination to a culmination in which Christ is crowned king by every living creature. And it's important to see. What John says is, I saw, and then in the center of heaven, not only does he see a vision, but he sees a throne. A throne occupied by whom? Well, on the throne is God, the Almighty, In Revelation four, we discovered that God is on a throne in such a fearful way, no one can approach that throne. Out of that throne comes types of light emanating from our father, lightnings and thundering, which are scary to say the least. In between the throne, in between the throne and John and the living creatures, the lamb, that lamb, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. No one then can approach the throne of God unless they approach the throne of God through the Lamb. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now we have a vision of this. There are seven spirits, and a couple of times, we've already seen this in Revelation, which represent the Holy Spirit and all of his power. Don't miss this, that when John looks at the throne, he sees our three-in-one God, the Trinity, is present. This is very important. As you know, there are a number of Teachers that dismiss the Trinity, some of whom them call themselves Christians, as a matter of fact, dismiss the Trinity, but it is so important to see. Our God is one and three. He's three and one. It's here we see God working in triumphant unity with His own being to bring about the redemption of all of human history, the culmination of it. And we know that. That is exactly what we need, right? We need somebody to come and fix what's broken around us. And every time we go to a funeral, we think, we're not supposed to be here. People aren't supposed to die. Our loved ones aren't supposed to get cancer. We we shouldn't have to show up at a trial to watch as justice is unfurled, because a loved one's been murdered. We shouldn't have to go and intervene for our kids who are having trouble. I could go on and on and on, and that's some of you just this week. So something has to change. We're not just spiraling in space with no direction. God has a plan. We read in Romans 8:22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In chapter 4, we read how that the Lord God has created everything, he's the creator and sustainer. If he then created things, everything, then there must be a purpose for which they are created. God didn't just spin this world into existence and then go off to another galaxy. He created everything with a purpose. This is very important to see personally for you, Because there may be someone here who does not feel they have purpose. And your purpose might have been something in the past that has caused you a reason to get up in the morning, to care for your loved ones, to care for your children, to go to a job. And now no longer is that chapter being written, but it's been closed. And you're a new chapter of your life, and you might feel that, There's not a lot of purpose in your life, but you weren't created primarily for those things in the past. You weren't created primarily for your vocation and your vocation's important. You weren't created primarily for other human beings, although that's certainly biblical that you have a importance on relationships. You weren't created for yourself, for sure. You are created by God and for God so that if you are his creation, you are purposed for him. When we come to chapter 5 now, we see that not only are you created by God, and yet it's important to see that you must be redeemed by Jesus because that's God's ultimate plan for creation, is to redeem for himself a people where he could be their God and they would be his people forever. So let's look at this. I have three points here, and they are in forms of questions. Three points, and uh, that'll help us to remember that God is three in one. Who is worthy? First question. Who is worthy? Look in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So God the Father on the throne has a scroll. Has a scroll. That scroll was written on the back as well as the front. That was unusual. That's not typical. It has seven seals. Now, seals are typical for any type of document like this. Without going into a lot of detail, the seals mean this document is official. There may be duplicates. There may be other forms of this scroll. But this one is the official one. The copies were not. John knew what was in the scroll to some degree. Because what is in the scroll is God's plan for human history. Not all of the details were given to John. In the duplicates which he has given to us in the book of 1 John, for instance, or in the gospel according to John, or in the other scriptures that the apostles have given us. But this is the official scroll, which means that when these seals are undone, the plan in that scroll then will be implemented. This this chart I showed you is a chart of human history, that which has already occurred. We're not worried that there will be a Roman empire that will rise and then at the perfect time, Christ will be born and God will use that empire to take him to a cross already done. But John's looking at what has to happen in the future and that is written on this scroll and it is sealed Therefore, official, so that when seals are broken, it means that the plan will be implemented. Jesus is coming back, for instance, but unless the seal is broken, he's not. That's the idea here. God's plan in history. What we see here, then, John in verse 2 is searching with everyone for someone who's able to open the scroll. Look at verse 2. I saw a mighty angel, I want you to stop there. A mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Here's a mighty angel, mighty, meaning all all power given to him by God to do whatever it is God wants him to do. A mighty angel, but this mighty angel cannot open the scroll. There have been a number of men and women over the years who would have loved to control human history future. They've been powerful and ambitious, but though they might be mighty, they were not worthy. I wanted us to sing that song today, Is He Worthy? Because that is the question. Who's worthy? Not who's powerful to open the scroll. Who's mighty or wants to? Who's worthy? So in verse 3, the search then the silence and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to take the scroll and open it. No one, no demon or angel or human or creation could open the scroll. Now you see why, verse four, John is in such sorrow. And I began to weep loudly. There's no salvation. There's no one who's opening the scroll, everything we've lived for and hoped for and expected through all of these years, the prophets have promised and the scriptures have proclaimed unfulfilled, because no one can bring about the plan of God. That's why he's weeping. There's no salvation. Creation outside tells us, therefore, we are purposed for a new creation. This one's broken. The promises of Scripture cause us to be expectant people that God will do what he said he would do, set all things right. There's a longing inside every single one of us so that we anticipate the coming of Christ to do what needs to be done, to put Satan in hell with all of his angels, to put us in heaven and he on his throne forever. This is why John is weeping. No wonder... Later, he celebrates so much when he says, there will be no more crying or tears. You, you know what it's like to weep. I got up this morning, and walked outside, was praying, and a little overwhelmed with a few things that some of our folks are going through in our church. And it, it was heartbreaking. But nothing like what John says here. We're doomed. Like, this world can't just keep going on like it is. There has to be a reason for creation, because there is a creator. And he's purposed that this creation be redeemed, and those in it who are unredeemed would be ultimately redeemed. But there's no one opening the scroll. Second question, is Jesus the one who's worthy? One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Good news. Stop weeping. There is a lion. He is roaring. He is not only able, he's worthy. This is good news. It's great news. And this is great news because this lion is David's root. Or David's descendant. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, uh, the prophet said there would come forth a shoot out of the stump of Jesse. What does that mean? That even though David's gone, that there would be from his throne a shoot come out. Just recently, we took down a tree, one of these invasive trees that grow like crazy at my father-in-law's house. And I came back to visit not too long ago, only to note there were all these other shoots coming out of this tree. This is how Isaiah saw the throne of David. Though David's gone, there's coming a shoot, and this shoot will be the everlasting one. This is why Jesus said uh, to a group of Pharisees who didn't understand who he was in chapter 22 of Matthew, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Then Jesus asked this. Love this question. How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord The Lord said, sit at my right hand until I put all your enemies under your feet. And if then David calls him Lord, how is he his David's son? And no one was able to answer him. He then would say in John about Abraham, another of the patriarchs, before Abraham was, I am. This is the lion who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now when you read this, this is good news. There is someone who's able to open the scroll, but it's also bad news. You cannot have good news unless there's bad news. And the bad news is the one who's worthy to open the scroll of redemption is also the one who's worthy to open the scroll of wrath. If you've read Revelation, you probably have been overwhelmed with the amount of wrath that flows from the throne of God upon sinful people. Jesus' image has been whitewashed for the most part in Western society. He is the meek and mild, lowly baby in the manger that Bobby, Ricky Bobby prays to. Never saw the movie, just know the line. Isn't that how people talk about Jesus? Baby Jesus? not how John saw Jesus, not lowly, meek, and mild, but here Jesus is, the lion, who is roaring. Where does this come from? Way back in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 49, we have this given to Judah, your brothers shall praise you, and your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's Cub from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stopped, stooped down as a crouching lion, as a lioness. Who dares row him? And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and vestures in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. It is a picture of the tribe of Judah being the conquering tribe and stomping on its enemies. It's not the language you would want necessarily to hear about Jesus. Jesus but it is the vision John sees. He's not only the savior of the saved, he is the dammer of the damned. I have heard people say to me, Jesus never sends anyone to hell. And I wonder, have they read their Bible? He does send his enemies to hell. I was his enemy. I sat in a church underneath the conviction of the Spirit going, I'm going to hell if I don't get saved. And you are going to hell if you don't get saved. I've been so grieved and brokenhearted and I won't digress far here. Over the last two weeks where I've had numbers of conversations with professed believers who are trying to widen the way to heaven and I wonder, what's it all for? If everybody's going, let's just go to the beach on Sunday. You know, and I know that the Bible doesn't teach that, that everyone's going to heaven. There's but one way to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the worthy conqueror. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll. He has conquered. In what way has he conquered? How has the lamb conquered, A lion conquered? Look in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, though it had been slain. There it was. How is it that a lamb who'd been slain and sacrificed is actually able to stand? How can a lamb who's been slain, slaughtered, killed, stand? Because it's no longer dead. John sees the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who had been slain on a cross, now standing before the throne of God. Look at his scars here. It is though he'd been slain, so that now John sees this is a lamb and it had been slain. There's signs of that slaying, which are the scars. The only thing earth produces right now that will last in heaven are the scars in Jesus' hands, his feet, and his side. And throughout all of eternity, we will see our lamb and our Lord with those stigmatas, those scars that says, I love you this much. The sovereignty here, he's there with the Spirit of God, with seven horns, which speaks of his power, and seven eyes, his omniscience. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. And there, in verse 7, because of that, he's able to take the scroll from the right hand of God, the Lamb. Isn't it just like our God? To make the national symbol of the new Jerusalem heaven, the Lamb. Uh, Constantly rushes in the news, and they are the bear. And the UK took on the sign of the the lion. And China, the dragon from the east. And the United States. Oh man, what a symbol we have the eagle. All of those hunters, all of those powerful, none of them worthy. Jesus is the Lamb. When we uh, got married last night, We had an old school wedding, and we had a a lot of music. I love weddings now that don't have much music. (laughs) I was looking at our program of our wedding just recently. We just celebrated an anniversary, and Leslie showed me the program, and I hadn't seen it. I don't know if I've seen it since we've been married. I'm like, wow, I knew we had a lot of music. I didn't know we had that much. Well, In fact, one of my buddies said, hey, it's not every day you go to a concert and a wedding breaks out. It was like that. The one song I requested, I love it still, The Lion and the Lamb. Who is he with power none can tame? Who is he that every foe would fear his name? Who is he who was humbly led away to suffer that dark day? His name is Jesus. He's the lion and the lamb. Third last question, is Jesus worshipped? I mean, he's worthy. Is he worshiped? We read at Revelation, we're going to see how, how, how all hell breaks loose on the earth. But John's seeing all heaven break loose. And hell has nothing on heaven. I don't even know why people say stuff like this. We're going to raise some hell this weekend. They have no idea what raising heaven's like. Look at this text. Every creature singing with the same voice on key, worthy is the Lamb. This is the signs that we see. Look in verse eight. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders they fell down before the Lamb. You know, here's what I know, and I I, I believe this is the imagery here. If a notary person came into our church we would likely stand, if the, if the governor came in, if the president came in, regardless of our politics, regardless of whether we agree with them, we would stand in honor. I mean, at a wedding, I mean, when a bride comes down, everyone stands, but when Jesus is presented, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I know I've told this story, I don't know, so many times, but I just love it. When Steve Kemp, the Christian artist, was on an elevator with Prince when Prince was here on the earth. And the Prince asked Steve Camp, this Christian artist, what do you do? I'm a singer. Oh, what kind of music do you do? Christian music. And somewhere along the line, the question got asked, well, how do you follow Jesus? And Steve Camp looked at Prince and said, you know how you're a Prince? He's king. And you have to bow before him. Everyone will bow. Philippians 2, he's Lord. We see here the harps that are held by these elders, which represent the church. The harps are not what we kind of think of as the large musical instrument that is played in contemporary times. This is more like a lyre, a guitar. We're not even sure exactly, but it's small enough to be played in praise to God. In other words, what is the church doing offering perfect praise to God? A sign of what he wants from us now. That's why we why we sing on Sunday morning, because they're singing in heaven. We're matching what's going on in heaven. May your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. Secondly, they have these bowls and they're incense of the and this incense is the prayers of the saints. Now, what is that? You know what incense is for? Incense is to mask smells, and it was very important in that day of John to have incense. The the prayers of the saints then are special and sweet to the Lord in that they are in accord to his will. The sweet prayers of the saints are not just any prayer offered up. They are prayers that are accompanying the will of God. That is why they are collected. What is the prayer specifically? We're going to see in just a few days. The prayer is, how long, O Lord, until? How long, O Lord, until you come and vindicate the martyrs and make everything right? Jesus is hearing those prayers. Then a new song is sung. Look at verse nine. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the stroll and open its seals. Why a new song? Well, listen to this. Listen to the pivotal moment of all of creation's the cross. It's the cross. No cross, we're all doomed. No resurrection, we're all, we're all headed to hell. No hope. But the cross says, I demonstrate my love for you in this. I will die in your place, become sin for you so that you can become the righteousness of God. Most of our music refers back to our redemption past. This new song is about redemption future. There's not only a cross that we glory in, there's a coming of Christ that we are looking forward to in which he brings all things under his feet. Psalm 2, no matter what every other kingdom does, he will laugh at them at their work against him because he's going to cause every king to kiss his ring. Just another way of saying, all under his authority. The purposeful nature of the church then is to bring glory and honor to the Lord and to remind people of the cross and his coming. It is the story of the book of Acts, and you're starting that next week as you see the church form to preach the gospel to every person in all nations so that they would know Jesus came and He's coming again. Remember, the book of Acts starts this way, where the angels are like, hey, why are you guys still staring up in the sky? This same Jesus will come in like manner. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is a ransom people for the God and a very special group of people that Jesus ransoms. Look in verse nine, you have ransomed them with your blood. This is a powerful atonement, meaning that anybody who's a sinner can be redeemed by Jesus. See, we had a predicament, all of us, every person, no matter what nationality, no matter what type of morality you've experienced growing up or religion you were, doesn't matter how many times you were baptized or joined a church, All of us have the same sorry predicament. We're sinners. Rebellious. Going our own way. Needing to be saved. Needing to be rescued from the wrath of God on our sin. So Jesus came. God in the flesh. Did what we can't do. Lived sinlessly. And became for us a sacrifice on the cross to make atonement. Atonement, love that word, at one with God. We're born in sin, estranged from God. Born in sin on our way to hell, not at one with God, not anyway at one with God, and we will never be at one with God unless someone ransoms us, and Jesus does by his blood sheds his blood to buy us out of the slavery of our sin to make us at one with him. And this is a very special atonement too. Notice that it's from every language, people, and nation. When Jesus came to die, he wasn't just rolling the dice and hoping somebody might believe. No, what he did is he came for those who would believe from every nation and a peculiar people too. Our group of students just went on a trip to Alaska Yesterday at the retreat for our young pros, one of the workers had gone on to the Alaska trip told me something interesting. He said, we were working among the most diverse group of people we've ever seen. The high school that was a mile away from where we were working, he said, had 120 different people groups in it, 120. The most by far of any high school in all the United States. I don't know what your high school was like. I went to a high school that had Pretty good diversity because it's a Navy town. I had Middle Easterners and Asians and all types of nationalities. It was kind of interesting, but not maybe like some of you. But I don't think any of us went with 120 different people groups. That pales in comparison to what heaven's going to be like. A people for God. And then a purposeful atonement. Look at verse 10. You've made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I, I will get to this. I will get to this. I'm not just skipping this today. But here is why we were redeemed. Not only to be redeemed to be with God, a people for God, but to serve alongside our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not only heirs of Christ. We are going to be co-regents with Christ. We're going to rule with Christ. When? We'll get to that. Look at Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Hey, can I just? Some of you love loud music, and some of you, it pierces your ears. You'll have such ears in heaven that you'll just say this turn it up. Because it's going to be a party like no one's ever seen. The crescendo is how it's been put. You know that's a musical term of escalating musical emphasis. Here it is. I looked in heaven and around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels and numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. I can't even count them. They were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard, listen to this, every creature join in in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth. And in the sea, and as all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. They crowned him. We sing it, crowned him with many crowns. The lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul now and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as the matchless king through all eternity. The way John Phillips puts it is this, Christ has a claim on the earth because he's the creator, because of the cross, and because of his conquest The lamb who was slain conquered death, conquered all sin. Therefore, is the one who is worthy, worthy, worthy. It's because of the cross we can say he's worthy. It's because of creation we can sing he's worthy. Therefore, Christians, our lives are to live in such a way to say he's worthy, worthy, worthy. What brings about all of God's purposes in this passage? We'll read in Revelation as the seals are unsealed and God's judgment is meted out, his plan coming forward. We're going to learn in Revelation what is to come in near future, the rise of the Antichrist, all hell breaking loose on earth, and the conquest of our Savior when he comes back. But what brings about all of this what is it in Revelation 5 that makes possible all the future events of Revelation? It won't surprise you. The same gospel that saved us is the gospel that will save us. That leads me to ENA. and I'm closing here. ENA. Did you write it down? E stands for everyone. Everyone. So write everyone down. Just write down everyone. I'm going to go back, Mike, to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. In Bible study, you brought up the fact that I go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 all the time, and I will always go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. matter of fact, at my funeral, y'all can just quote that verse. Those verses. E, everyone, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. Everyone is saved the same way, by God's grace, when they believe. In fact, if you want to be witnessing to people, like, how do I witness to people? Remember ENA. Tell them everyone is saved by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is what I don't deserve. I don't buy. I can't buy something that's graciously given to me. I have to believe. I have to trust. Everyone is saved this way. Everyone is saved this way. Everyone. No one. That's next. In. E-N-A. No one is saved by their own doing. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, verse 8. No one is saved by their own doing. No one. No religious person, no moral person, no good person according to worldly standards, no one goes to heaven on their own. Can't happen. Everyone is saved. Everyone is saved the same way. Grace and faith. No one is saved by their own works. A. Anyone can be saved. You could talk to someone tomorrow about the gospel and you could say, let me tell you how you can be saved. Everyone is saved this way. No one is saved this way. And anyone can be saved, which means you can be saved. Would you like to be? Anyone is saved. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The salvation is a gift. It's to be received. A gift is to be received. Not worked for, not earned, not going to classes for, not baptized for, not any other way. It is to be received by faith. God's willing to give it. He gave us his son, and that is the gift that we receive. So here it is, ENA. Everyone saved by grace through faith. No one is saved by their own doing. Anyone can be saved because it's a free gift of God. Would you be saved if you're not? Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this passage, this incredible look into heaven. And God, may it stir our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen.